OWA Talks podcast. I am your co-host Stephanie here with my co-host Sandra and this month we have one of our best guests I think that we've had so far and that is Sherry Ann James who is is the Chief Marketing Officer and Senior Vice President of Wholesale Marketing at Essilor Luxottica North America. Welcome Sherry Ann. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. That was very generous. So why don't you go ahead and give us a little rundown and tell us a little about yourself and, the, and how you came into this industry. Sure. So I have an interesting professional background because I actually started my career as a chemical engineer. And you guys just said I was the chief marketing officer. So how I made that pivot is I was very fortunate that I started at one of the most premier consumer products companies in the world, uh, Kraft Foods. And they are very consumer centric in their approach. And so they put um, consumer research front and center. Working in R&D, I had an opportunity to be a part of a lot of live consumer research. So ethnographies, which is where you actually go into people's houses and watch them do stuff. Anyway, that led to me getting a lot of interaction and exposure to the marketing department. And I had what I can say for women is the best career opportunity where your behavior leads a senior person to say, hey, would you consider moving to marketing? And as they say, the rest was history. I worked on some of the best brands in the world, and I like to call my experience there Craft University. Other fun facts, I am a mom and a wife, a mom of a teenager. And um, like a lot of women, a lot of my talks in the past have focused on balance, but now I'm trying to get my arms around what is it going to be like to have a daughter leave the home, but an entirely different podcast. Now that podcast, some of our listeners might also be interested in <laughs> as well. <laughs> But since we're here today to talk about marketing, in your current role, you work with the most recognized brands in the industry. And in some of your past roles, you've led household brands. So can you give us some of your thoughts around the importance of building brands and including a personal brand that you build? That's a great question. So I think at the core of what makes brands great um, whether they're fast-moving consumer goods, whether they're hard goods, whether they're um, something as specific as uh, medical equipment that a lot of your listeners will work on, is they, they have to stand very clearly for something that matters to the people with whom they're trying to serve. So I want to play a little game with you guys, um, and it could be brands across my career, which I, I definitely gave you a little bit of a hint about. Um, but let's start with this one. When I say macaroni and cheese, you can't say your grandma's because I'm going to say which store brand comes to mind. Kraft, obviously. Yes. And that one was a little bit easy because I kind of cheated <laughs> when I when I sort of said where I worked. But, but in all seriousness, since you guys maybe had Kraft in your mind, because I said I worked there, either of you, can you maybe share with me why craft sort of comes to mind for mac and cheese. And then I'll maybe pivot back to what I said earlier about brands. I mean, I think to me, it's, it's, you think of childhood and the craft mac and cheese box and you run to it in the grocery store and you pick it up. Like we need to take this home. And then it's in your cupboard and you're like, I want this for dinner. And 
then it's convincing your family you're going to have it. And then it's that little cheesy packet. And oh so it's all of those, those little things that like, it's just the remembrance of, um, and then when you have your own kids and they see the box and it gets them all excited about the mac and cheese, um, that it's just, you just have those feelings and it brings back memories and it brings back all those associations to, to childhood. You, you really, I think in, in your next career, Sandra, you can go work for Kraft Mac and Cheese because honestly, you sound <laughs> like the, the, the brand director. Because So fun fact about Kraft Mac and Cheese, it was actually created in 1937 in the height of the depression. So when you talked about and you see the box and it's in your, your pantry and you can kind of count on it, it was a reliable way to get a warm meal to the family in a time of distress. But what... Kraft did that was so amazing is they then used that sort of opportunity being created from a, a moment of necessity and they nurtured that and they knew exactly who their target was. And again, you said it, Sandra, when you said as a mom and I remembered it as a mom and that warm, teasy goodness, they have always stood for that. It is a great comfort food that moms can count on when you're in the clutch and you're feeling a little guilty, you know, I loved it. They'll love it. You still feel like you're passing on that mom goodness. It's clearly a brand standing for something. And it just came to your mind because that's what a top brand does because you knew exactly what it stood for. Okay. So I get to do this again. Um, let's see if I will go um, for free. When I say power tools, like drills and things that uh, maybe your your uh, family member might fix the house with tools. What comes to mind? For me, it's Black and Decker. That's the one. Oh my I God, I'm so glad you said that because I was talking about Black and Decker. So that's another brand I worked on. Oh, uh, but interestingly, I worked on it on the small appliances side. So there, again, what we did is we took the fact that um, pretty much most uh, uh, global people, actually, because it's a global brand, um, it's especially developed in the Americas, when you say Black & Decker, they say power tools. So when Black & Decker went into adjacency categories, um, the first categories it went to was things that required power, like blenders, but then they went to toaster ovens and then they went to irons. And even though the, the brand sits at sort of a value, price points of value to middle, the thing that it stands for and it really is good at is durability. Because again, that was the equity from power tools being able to very naturally transition. There are other brands in the, the small appliance pace, space rather that are known for the, the Epicurean top of the top of, of, of cooking like Cuisinart or Breville. There are others that are new entrants to the category like Ninja that have sort of established themselves as blenders. Black & Decker really owns that durability space and again, coming back to where this question started, what makes a brand work? What makes a brand work is standing for something among the people that you are trying to get to believe in you. Kraft Mac and Cheese stands for wholesome goodness that a mom can count on. Um, Power Tools is what Black & Decker stood for. So when they brought it into the kitchen, they said, we want to stand for durability at a great value. It's not going to break. Okay, one more that's a little bit closer to home. So when I say the number one progressive lens in the world, what do you guys think of? I'd say Verilux. 
Verilux. I thank you for that, since that is the company for which I work. And again, this is really, to me, about knowing your audience. Um, you guys are obviously in the industry, so you recognize Verilux. But if I went and I sort of grabbed uh, maybe your mom or my mom or your sister or your cousin, and I said, hey, have you heard of Verilux? Chances are they'd say no. And even if I went with someone who was in their 40s, who's in need of the product, there's still a chance they'll say no. But if I find anyone in the industry, an optician and an optometrist, and I ask them the question that we just asked, I have a pretty good shot at having them say Verilux. And so there, I felt like that is a really tangible example of knowing your audience and knowing who you are building the brand with. So even though at Verilux, we also market to consumers, we never forget who our core customer is. And it really is the optometrist, particularly the independent optometrists who have a choice in what they serve their patients. And we always are showcasing to them that we're the best, but making sure we deliver on that promise by a consistent investment and in innovation so that we are always enabling them to give their patients the best solution. So three very different examples, of course, um, across my career that really demonstrate uh, the, the, the power of branding. So I have one more fun one because as you guys may have recognized, my career expanded. I used to be the CMO of Essilor and now I'm the CMO of Essilor Exotica Wholesale. So this one, I'm pretty sure you'll get. When I say sunglasses, what do you think of? I think of Ray-Ban. Yes. I think of Oakley. <laughs> hey, they're two of ours. So two in the family. But you know what? Um, as as uh, Since we're doing this sort of off the cuff, maybe tell me, Stephanie, what do you see as the difference between Oakley and Ray-Ban? And I'll use it again as an opportunity to talk about how brands work. Well, I think for me, I mean, as a, I used to be an optician. And so, you know, I feel like with Oakley, it, it's more not niche, but like you can customize a specific sunglass depending on what somebody's doing, you know, a road cycling one or, a, and everybody's doing stuff outdoors. So for me, like that was always the cream of the crop was the Oakley. Cause you can customize not only a good look as, as the frame, but you could also customize a lens depending on, you know, where that person is using those glasses the most. And I always liked having that, or you could do different, you know, the different, uh, um, like polarizations and, yeah. you know, they go fishing and you can have a fishing lens. Like to me, that was so great because they're so broad of how you can use these different lenses and make them look good at the same time. And, and, and what Oakley stands for at its core is it really is the, the lens or the, the eyewear for sportsmanship first and foremost. And then of course you have this broad appeal because Oakley's such a phenomenal brand. And what Ray-Ban has always done is, Ray-Ban says on its um, logo, genuine since 1937, the brand has been around that long and it never has lost its values because it wants to be courageous. And that's why you see so much association of Ray-Ban with cultural curators throughout the last lifetime of the brand, whether it's it's Tom Cruise of late, but every other celebrity in the world, they, they, they naturally gravitate to Ray-Ban, but then it's this authenticity and last but certainly not least, 
this timelessness. And that's what makes the brand so powerful because it's never losing sight of its values. And now actually at Vision Expo East, a lot of our clients will have an opportunity to see it. We're launching a new campaign and it's called Genuine Sense. And it's sort of riffing off that Genuine Sense 1937. And we are inviting their consumers, their patients to think of the moments where they found their authentic self and they felt that they were genuine since because we're really celebrating the iconicity of the brand, but just how important it is to be genuine and true to who you are and to own who you are. So we'll be having a genuine since experience um, at the booth for customers to enjoy, but bringing it back to branding, it's when you have something like a frame brand that's so ubiquitous, you may run the temptation to want to stand for everything. And whereas, as you pointed out, Oakley stands is in its truth of always being the, the eyewear that sports and, and therefore men by adjacency will gravitate to, Ray-Ban always stands in its truth of being that brand that allows you to be courageous, authentic, and yet timeless in, in your fashion because it is who the brand is or, or what it is. So I think in terms of lessons, um, in terms of coming back to your question of what makes a brand, whether it's equity by association, which is what Black & Decker is, or whether it's standing for your values, which is what Ray-Ban does, whether it's knowing your people, as I said, with Verilux as, as um, uh, optometrists really know and love that brand, and seizing a moment, like when there was a need in 1937, Crafts created this category, those are all the things that make a brand amazing and great, like these great brands that I've been humbled and honored to work on and I'm, I'm working on now. I, I usually do this um, exercise with people when I'm explaining what marketing is. I, I picked it up by osmosis when I was at Kraft, but I, I say to people that if you're writing your personal brand, you wanna write something called a positioning statement. A positioning statement gets completed with a lot of things, but a, a classic one, you would start with to whoever you're trying to target. So to whatever you're trying to target. Um, the So in this case, I'll say Sharian is. So, so if I was trying to uh, be a brand and then you say this thing that you are like, so meaning I'm a marketer. So it means I'm comparing myself to other marketers. And then I have to say my why, what makes me a marketer? That's the unique selling proposition. But then I got to give you a reason to believe. All brands at their core are able to follow that positioning. So it's knowing the person you're targeting, knowing what else is in competition with you, what are their alternative sources, but then what do you offer to that alternative that's unique? And then what's the reason to believe? So that's how I instruct everybody, if you want to define your personal brand, you should be able to write your own positioning statement. I'm going to, okay, let, let me try to do it. Okay. So I said in the beginning that I was a marketeer. So I would say two. So remember I said, you have to say, who's your target. So if I'm positioning myself as a marketeer, I'd say my target is companies that want to create great value. Cause that's what I think marketers should do. So two companies that want to create great value from brands. Um, I would say Sharon is the marketeer. So that's what am I in competition with other marketeers. So now comes the money part, right? What's my unique selling proposition? Who 
always puts consumers and customer insights at the center of what she does. And what's the reason to believe? Because I've done it over and over again at many great companies working on great brands and been able to create value for them. So that's a positioning statement off the cuff. And I want you to encourage your readers, your listeners rather, to be able to do it because it's a great professional exercise, especially for women, because we often are not comfortable dusting our shoulders off and saying who we are. And it also really helps you to know your people, know what it is you're trying to do. So hopefully your listeners will have fun with that. So then with, with this particular exercise, you're almost saying to adapt it based on who your audience is. Because I think sometimes people are like, you come up with that statement and it never changes. Whereas with you, maybe the core fundamental values, like being the marketer and delivering great value, those things don't change. But some of the wording around how you develop that statement adapts a little bit so that it resonates or connects with whom you're trying to speak to. You are absolutely correct because trying to maybe think through um, people in the audience or even just thinking of Stephanie. Stephanie, you said you were an optician and now you're here as a world-class podcaster. Well, when you were an optician, your source of uh, uh, alternative comparison bases would be two other opticians and therefore how you would define yourself may be very different. But now that you're a podcaster, um, amongst other things, you would have a very different way of defining your positioning statement. But then to Sandra's point, the core things that make Stephanie special, they may morph to the different opportunity, but they're not going to get lost. Because if you recall at the beginning, I said I started my career in engineering. That is likely why I bring to the marketing space uh, uh, appetite for data, because I tend to approach things from wanting insights and data to help me shape my thinking because that's how I approach the marketing space. There are other marketers who came into the space through pure heart and creativity, and they're going to have a very different approach. It does not mean that one is valued less than the other. In fact, I like to bring together teams where I'm surrounded by people who have different, as I like to say, superpowers than me for just that reason. So yeah, you, you nailed it. Know your target audience and be willing to adjust as your target audience is evolving when you think about personal positioning statement. But it's also probably important to know yourself. Oh, because I'm thinking that that's also something that maybe we don't spend enough time thinking about is like, who are we and what is it that we're good at? And then how do we articulate that value as our position statement to others as well? I stole this from somebody and I cannot remember who it is to quote them, but since there were other women at the audience in the event, I know that I got this from this lady, but she talked about the, 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 the G spot being this combination of what you are good at and what you love to do. And that's the ultimate in bringing together your, your dream career. And, and that's exactly to me, Sandra, what you were saying is when you can find that Knowing who you are is that first step, who you, who you are, what makes you happy, what are the things that even if you are working, you're just happy because it just fills you, and then what are you good at? If you can do that for a living, you're in good shape and you're probably going to thrive. One of the key elements here is not only knowing yourself, but knowing your like who your audience is, and I think 
I mean, for me, for example, you know, you've got an optometrist who's trying to market for new patients to come in. And I think maybe sometimes, you know, you send out this generic email or whatever, when you can be more specific to the audience that you're looking for. So I think it's important to remember to always be looking at who exactly you're trying to, to, to get to and what's the most effective way of doing that. Absolutely. Because I think one of the things that makes optometrists, especially independent optometrists, very special is they usually serve a local community. And so you want to first and foremost, make sure you understand the needs of that local community. Many times the local community that an optometrist might build a practice in is one that they live in. So they have an understanding if it's a, if it's a suburb with a lot of families and kids and that's something that you're good at and you enjoy, you know, making sure you're on the cutting edge of things that, that are going to be beneficial, like myopia management and other skill bases, because you're knowing your audience, you're knowing your people, and to your point, and bringing that into your messaging so that you're not just sending out local doctor eye care, you're really speaking to how, and, and if you have an elderly population, you're really speaking to the skill sets that your practices have that can completely serve that population. And then just bringing your personal brand. If you are uh, a doctor who just really loves spending time with your patients and you would rather see fewer patients so that you can spend more time, that's the type of thing that's gonna really appeal to people. If you are a, a, a practice that has invested in many lanes and as a result, you can turn over patients faster because you have the capacity. Definitely talk about that. You put the money into it. You really want that out there. And I, I love talking about this stuff because I, I enjoy the, the, the part that I get most excited about my job is when I get to use my sort of training on marketing to really help these doctors who buy our product and serve us so, so um, amazingly to really put themselves out there and, and market, but you, you nailed it, Stephanie. They have to really make sure they are sharing their unique selling proposition to that target audience that they serve. What is your, what are your thoughts on like utilizing social media from a, from an office standpoint? Um, what are your thoughts and do you have any tips on how to make that more effective? Sure. So first and foremost, um, at the risk of being redundant, you need to get that strategy stuff right first, because a lot of things that people do is they'll just say, OK, I got to like have a social media page and I got to just start posting stuff. And, and it doesn't work if you haven't figured out your authentic self and your authentic voice. But then once you do have that it's really about curating the content. So you wanna, social media is something that can take a lot of time. So you wanna really invest, but this is where partnerships really come in. So for example, we offer as, as to our partners services where they can use some of the iconic brands that we were talking about earlier, like Ray-Ban and Oakley in social posts that they would share on, on their Facebook, on their um, IG pages but make the connection that they have the, these brands available at their practice. But there we're also helping them with the content because we would use things like the Genuine Sense campaign that I just spoke about and the consumers seeing the Ray-Ban 
advertising across all of their feeds. So then when they come to their doctor's page and they're seeing it there, it really reinforces, hey, I want to come to this doctor to get this brand that I just saw everywhere. So that's one way. It's a little bit like what, what we called when I was describing with Black & Decker equity by proximity, the equity of power tools going into the appliances. It's borrowing the equity of Ray-Ban because you, as part of your offering, use Ray-Ban to serve your patients, as an example. But I could see where doctors could really appreciate that because their training's not on being social media experts and knowing the marketing. I mean, if they're a big enough practice, they could obviously hire someone, but the smaller practices don't have the time or the talent to really know that well. So having those resources, um, and then as you're talking about building off of the equity that the brand has already built, um, I think that could be huge for them to really continue that their patients exactly and that's why we do it because um we know that our practices are first and foremost best in class at giving quality care and again you know know your superpower know what you're good at we benefit when they give quality care so we don't want them becoming social media experts we're not going to deny that to them but it's usually hard to have two superpowers so that's where we want to come in and really make sure that we are using the quality of our brands and what we offer to help elevate them. Okay. So the final piece of advice is I'd like everyone who's listening to write down, ideally right now, what they think their superpower is. Um, and the reason I want you to write it down is because I don't want you to forget listeners. It's an important thing to do. And especially since a lot of um, our listeners are probably female, and as I said, it's something that sometimes we are not as good at doing is really knowing our superpower and stating it. So I'd love for everybody to really know that and then kind of curate and nurture it because, um, it, you know, Sandra said it well, when you have to know who you are and then you build your career and your ambitions around that. And then, of course, as I said earlier, with that identified kind of uh, write your positioning statement and then take a look at it like a year later and so on and so forth. You, you'll, you'll be, um, if nothing else, uh, amused, but I'm pretty sure it will really help people be more intentional with how they show up. That's great advice. I love that. Cause I think you're right. We do sometimes forget, you know, so just to have that, even if you have a little sticky note on your bathroom mirror or something, just to remind yourself every morning, um, that you are a superhero and you should be proud of that. So it was, it was fun chatting with you guys and I won't put you on the spot, but maybe you guys can tell me offline what your superpowers are. Yeah. I'll have to think about it. <laughs> well, thank you for the time and for chatting with you. And I hope your listeners enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed chatting with you ladies. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you.